Welcome to uh, Wednesday Night Bible Study, Acts of the Apostles, Part 21, which will cover Acts chapter 25 and into 26. Uh, If we get that far, if we don't, that's okay too. There's no rush. But again, if you have thoughts or questions or comments, please uh, uh, bring them out, because a lot of times it opens up a whole area of discussion that's, that's really good. So let's uh, let's pray. Father God, we just honor you with our presence. Uh, we just thank you for the word of God. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're our help, our teacher tonight, and that you're going to guide us into a conversation over scripture and uh, what it means to us individually and corporately as the body of Christ. So Lord, I thank you for those that are here or on their way, those that couldn't make it, those who are hearing by podcast, Lord, we just thank you that uh, you minister to all of us, Lord, as we need. And so uh, help us to glean understanding and application. In this we give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So per Paul's timeline, we're right here. It's, he's just spent two years basically under uh, house arrest. Uh, and he's a, sort of a prisoner now in Caesarea. We'll be talking about that. But this is kind of where we're at right here, uh, chapter 25 and 26. And so next week we're going to be getting into the journey into Rome and then the final part. So probably after this, maybe two more weeks of this, or two or three weeks of this, and then we'll go into a couple of topical things before the beginning of the year when we're going to start with uh, Romans. So this is kind of where we're at right here. And the year is about getting close to uh, 5960. Jesus went on the cross uh, about the year 30, uh, 31, 32. Uh, so you can see that's uh, about 27, 28 years since Jesus was on the cross. So, Acts chapter 25, verse 1 to 5. Festus, therefore, having arrived in the province, three days later went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul, and they were urging him, requesting a concession against Paul that he might have brought to Jerusalem, and at the same time setting an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus then answered that Paul was being kept in custody at Caesarea, and that he himself was about to leave shortly. Therefore, he said, Let the influential men among you go there with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them prosecute him. Now, a couple things here. Last week when we left off, the governor uh, was Felix. Now the governor is Festus, okay, because there's two years have gone by. And uh, 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 Felix dies Festus comes on, and he's now the governor in the area. So that's why we go from Felix to to, to Festus, right there in one one little uh, one little verse. Okay, and uh, Festus is the governor, uh, or sometimes it's translated procreator. It's the same thing; it just means governor over the over the province, and he's governor right about this time here from about late 59, maybe early 60 to, to 62. He doesn't serve too long. And he's relatively a good guy. 
He's not necessarily a bad guy. He's a good guy. But remember, the governors were put there by Rome to keep the peace. They were there to govern, but they were there to also kind of keep the Jews quiet. Because remember, Jews were living under Roman authority. Jews didn't want that, didn't like that, didn't like paying taxes to Rome, didn't like being not being in charge of their own destiny. And so uh, the job was to, to keep them under control and not get them all upset. Now, if you were a Jew and you did something wrong according to the law, you were brought before the Sanhedrin. That was the Jewish ruling council. If you did something civically wrong or uh, something wrong against Rome, then you were brought before the governor or the procreator or maybe even the commander. Uh, and then you were sent to wherever you were going to be sent. So if you broke something under Jewish law, you had to go to the Jewish council first. And then from there, if you did something that was even greater, or if you could not get um, a sentence or a thing, and like in Paul's case, they couldn't find out what, what's the big issue, they would pass it up. It's kind of like here, you know, we've got municipal court, state court, you know, appeals court, same, same sort of thing. Uh, but Jews had their own court of law for legal, legal things under the law, meaning scripture that Rome could not judge on because they were not trained in biblical law. It's just, I think I said last week or the week before, it's like today, if you bring an argument to a court of law today that is biblically based and two sides are, are, are having an argument over biblical law, they will throw it out because judges uh, cannot rule on biblical law because they are not trained in biblical law. They're, they're, they're not theologians. Okay. Um, so Festus says he'll listen to what's going on with this Paul guy, because again, just because Paul's Paul's in in house arrest doesn't mean, you know, there's not still unrest. You know, the the, the followers and the you know the people, the believers, they want Paul out. They 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 need Paul, and so. Uh, but then there's the other side. There's those Jews that want to kill him, they want to put him on trial. So his job is to now he's the new governor. He comes down and he says, okay, I'll, I'll listen to this Paul guy. Let's, let's, let's find out what's going on with Paul. So that's kind of where we're at here. And it's a good thing that he says, since Paul's up in Caesarea, uh, he says, let's let's just keep Paul in Caesarea. We'll go up to Caesarea. And those of you in the ruling council, the Jews uh, who want to bring charges, you come up to Caesarea. Now, this is a good thing because remember last week, the Jews that were the forty Jews that wanted to kill Paul. There's probably more than that now. Uh, they wanted him brought back, and as he was on his way back to Jerusalem, they were going to kill him. They were going to ambush him. So it's a good thing that he stays up in Caesarea. And Caesarea is just the northern part of uh, of, of 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 Israel. There, I got a map later. I'll, I'll show you. So, thoughts, questions there on Felix Festus. We're good. Okay, verse 6, chapter 25. And after he had spent more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea. It always makes me laugh when he says he went down to Caesarea. Caesarea is up, but they always say that it's just a term. I'm, I'm going down, you know. And so it's like Mary when she says, when we get out of the car, you want me to get down? 
And I said, no, get down as this. You know, I want you to get out of the car. You know, so anyway, I'm going to pay for that. And after he had spent not more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea, and on the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. And after he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him, which they could not prove. So they're bringing all kinds of things against him, you know, trying to see what's going to stick. Verse 8, Well, Paul said in his own defense, I have committed no offense either against the law of the Jews, meaning scripture, or against the temple or against Caesar. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, why? Because he wanted to keep them happy, right? Uh, But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as you also very well know. Uh, If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything worthy of death, I do not refuse to die. But if none of those things was true, of which these men accuse me, no one can hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then, when Festus had conferred with his council, he answered, You have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. He can do this because he's a Roman citizen. Remember when they, when the commander had him originally, and they, and they had, uh, they, they, they bound him, and they, and they were going to flog him. All of a sudden, they found out he was a Roman citizen, and the commander got real scared because you cannot bind a a Roman citizen that's not been convicted, nor can you flog them. So he had to he had to clean that up there. So the appeal to Caesar as a as a Roman citizen, he had the right to do this. Now in verses six and seven, it says. The charges were many and they were serious. We don't know all the charges, but it's like if you're out to get someone, all kinds of stuff will, will be thrown out there. We don't know all of it. But usually with the Jews, it was that, you know, he uh, he blasphemed God. Uh, but, the, but the bigger one, if you were now going to go to Caesar, uh, it had to be something that he did against the state. would be wrong. Uh, verses 8 and 9 uh, Festus realizes he doesn't know how to handle religious case like this, and so his job is to keep the Jews happy, you know. And so he's saying, "Are you willing to go back to Jerusalem, you know? And I'll I'll be there, you know. But are you willing to go back there?" Uh, and then in verse ten, where it says, "But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal, where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as you very well know." A fair trial was not possible. And again, remember there was the, the people wanted to kill him on the way. So he doesn't want to go back to Jerusalem and stand trial. He knows he's not going to get a fair trial. He wants to go to Rome. And remember also a couple of weeks ago, he, he received in a vision that the Lord told him he was going to go to Rome. So he's bent on going to Rome. 
He's seeing this is all God's divine plan. And uh, so he's doing that. In verse 11, it, you know, he talks about, you know, uh, the charges were serious enough to demand the death penalty. So, you know, the things that he was being charged with were not lightly here. This isn't someone that's going to be expelled from the country or locked up for a few years. This is someone that they're, they're, looking, uh, they're looking to kill him. Uh, and then verse 12, it says, Then when Festus had conferred with his counsel, he answered and says, You have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. Uh, going to Rome was good news, and it was bad news. It was good news because he wanted to go to Rome. It was good news because he could appeal his, his case before Caesar, and, and he was hoping that they would see there's nothing to charge him with. The bad news is the Caesar is Nero. And Nero is the worst of the worst. I mean, he was just horrible. Uh, the, the things that he would do, uh, uh, you know, um, you don't want to kind of Google Nero and just look at some of the stuff that he did, especially to Christians. I mean, he was just horrible. He was a horrible, horrible person. And so it's before that Caesar that Nero is going to, going to go. And, uh, uh, you know, Chase Little Rabbit here. I remember when I was, when I was little, I used to watch uh, cartoons and stuff. I remember Nero was always pictured as this funny little character who played a, a violin. You know, and, and it was like, I used to laugh at this guy until all of a sudden I found out who this guy really was. And I always wondered, why did they depict him as this fun-loving type of guy when he was just the most sickest, diabolical, double himself type of guy? You know, it was just, uh, that's, that's always been planted in my, in my brain. So, but he was just horrible. Uh, so, thoughts, questions on that? He's, he's going to be going to Rome. A lot of legal things, but now he's going to get out of house arrest at least, and he's going to be going. He's not leaving tomorrow. we still got some, some stuff he's got to do here. So, verse 13 to 22. Now, when several days had elapsed, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and paid their respects to Festus. And while they were spending many days there, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and elders of the Jews brought charges against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation upon him. And I answered them that it is not the custom of the Romans to hand over any man before the accused meets his accusers face to face and has an opportunity to make his defense against his charges. And so, after they had assembled here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. And when the accusers stood up, they began bringing charges against him not of such crimes as I was expecting. In other words, he was expecting something against Rome. They're bringing all these other things that he's really not prepared to deal with. Verse 19, But they simply had some points of disagreement with him about their own religion and about a certain dead man, Jesus, whom Paul asserted to be alive. 
So in all of this, Paul's preaching the gospel, by the way. You know, every time he's he's there, you know, the gospel comes out. We're going to hear it in, a, in just a minute or two. Uh, let's see. Verse 20. And being at a loss how to investigate such matters, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there stand trial on these matters. But when Paul appealed to be held in custody for the emperor's decision, I ordered him to be kept in custody until I send him to Caesar. And Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. Now, King Agrippa. Who is King Agrippa? It's actually King Agrippa II. And he's the great-grandson. He's the grandson of Herod the Great in the time of Jesus, the one that was killing the uh, the males, babies, because they heard Messiah was coming, so he was somehow trying to stop that. Well, this is his, his grandson. And by way of a little map here, let's see if I have it. it's a little fuzzy, but just to give you an idea of what's going on. This is... Samaria, this is Judea, Jerusalem is down here. This is what Festus and Felix oversee. Now Agrippa, he oversees this part over here. It's part of the Roman Empire. Okay, and so Caesarea is right up in here. So he's coming over here, and so the two governors are now meeting. He has a title king, uh, but he's really, he's the governor. Those titles are, 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 are switchable. Uh, you know, but he's basically the one who oversees this particular area, and so that's what uh, that's where he comes from. So that's what that's how he gets involved in all of this. And so this governor is saying, "I'm not." He's new, and he's saying, "I'm not sure about all of this stuff." So he confers with the other governor, and the other governor is like, "Hey, this sounds interesting. I want to. I want to see who this guy is. Let's 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 discuss this." Let's, bring this down. So so this is why when you read the end of Acts, Paul keeps telling the story over and over and over because he's going before the commander, then he's going before Felix, then it's Festus, now he's going to be going before Agrippa, you know, and you know, it's but every time he tells a story we, we learn a little bit more about his story and and, and who he is. Uh, and also Agrippa uh, because he was partially Jewish, he had great insight into the custom of the Jews. So it was very wise on Festus's part to say, hey, can you give me a hand with this? Because, you know, Agrippa understood the Jews better uh, than um, Festus did. Thoughts, questions? Good. Pretty straightforward, right? Eh? Verse 23 to 27. Verse 23, and so on the next day when Agrippa had come together with Bernice uh, amid great pomp and had entered the auditorium accompanied by the commanders and the prominent men of the city at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Now everybody's there. Everybody that's anybody is there. And he's brought into this tribunal. Verse 24, and Festus said, King Agrippa, and all you gentlemen here present with us, you behold this man about whom all the people of the Jews appealed to me. 
both at Jerusalem and here, loudly declaring that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death. And since he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. Yet I have nothing definite about him to write to my lord. Think about that for a second. Emperor and lord. I'll get back to that. Therefore I have brought you, brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the investigation has taken place, I might have something to write. For it seems absurd to me in sending a prisoner not to indicate also the charges against him. So he realizes that if he's going to send him to Rome, he's got to send a letter stating why this guy should be tried in, by, by Roman law in the court and why he should go before. Now he's, the title is interchangeable. He says he's going before he appeals to Caesar. Caesar is a generic term for the head of head of Rome. Okay, kind of like Pharaoh. Pharaoh is a generic term for the leader of, of ancient Egypt. So Caesar, but then you have emperor and lord. Well, Nero rejected the title Caesar. He wanted to be called emperor or lord. So it shows you what he thinks of himself. Now, he's not just Caesar. Those other guys were Caesars. I'm emperor, I'm lord. So that's why that's brought in here. Because sometimes we think there's different people there. No. Caesar, emperor, lord, all have to do with uh, uh, Nero. So it's emperor Nero there for your little empty space. Uh, but what you get here is that Festus is like, I got nothing on this guy. I, 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 I need some help here. I got to write a letter. I got, what do you want me to do? I got nothing. Right? So he's, he's looking, you know, if he's going to go, give me something or let the guy go. You know, I've, I've got nothing. So, questions, comments? Chapter 26. Verse 1 to 13, under the heading, Paul's bio. So some of this you've heard before, but let's just see if there's anything in here we need to look at or just revisit. 26, chapter 26, verse 1 to 13. And Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and proceeded to make his defense. In regard to all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I am about to make my defense before you today. I would say that was a good move, right? Especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions among the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. So he says, finally, I got a guy here outside of the Sanhedrin who gets it. So I'm going to tell you my story because I know you get it. You are not prejudiced against me the way these other guys are. You get it. Verse 4. So then all Jews know my manner of life from my youth up, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation at Jerusalem. Since they have known about me for a long time previously, if they are willing to testify that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect 
of our religion. He's saying, I was a Jew's Jew. That's what he's saying. And now I am standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. The promise to which our twelve tribes hope to obtain as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for the hope, O king, I am being accused by Jews. Why is it considered incredible among you people if God does raise the dead? So again, one of the issues they were having was his resurrection. Because remember, Sadducees didn't believe in it. Pharisees did. Romans, others, they didn't get it. This was new. No other deity had this idea of resurrection. No other, that's that's solely the God of the Bible. Uh, uh, this idea of, of raising from the dead and the atonement that goes with it. Verse 9. So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. In other words, he said, as a Jew's Jew, I'm going after this Jesus guy because he's contrary to what we've always taught, what we've always believed. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. And not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Now we get see a little bit expanded picture on Paul's involvement, because if we just read Acts chapter 9, maybe we get, okay, well, he was there with Stephen, he was on the road to Damascus, maybe, but here now all of a sudden we get, there's a lot of people that he put in jail. And he even voted for people to be put to death. You know, this is this is Paul. Uh, and he's not afraid, by the way, to, to say it. Verse 11. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blasphemy. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. Again, he was on the road to Damascus, which was a foreign city. Verse 12, while thus engaged as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, at midday, now we find out what time of day this happened. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me, and those who were journeying with me. So right here, Paul is making his defense giving his, reciting his his uh, his testimony, uh, but he's already made this, this defense before the commander, Felix and Festus, and now he's doing it to Agrippa. Okay, verse 14 to 18. And when we had all fallen to the ground, again, remember, he wasn't knocked off a horse, he wasn't on a horse, no horses in the picture. So if you're watching TV and they say he was knocked off a horse, you write him a letter and you tell him, Pastor Steve said he was not on a horse. Anyway, I heard a voice saying to me in the in the Hebrew dialect, which is Aramaic. He doesn't say in Hebrew, in the Hebrew dialect, which is Aramaic. Hebrew, biblical Hebrew was only spoken by the priests and it was to read scripture. Biblical Hebrew is different than Hebrew during then, and even the Hebrew that's spoken today, which is in very small places in the world, 
is completely different. It's 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 like night and day. It's 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 totally different. But here the Hebrew dialect is Aramaic. That was the language that the common Jew spoke to one another. Aramaic. It's, and this is what the voice said in the Hebrew dialect. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. We'll get back to that. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So we find out this isn't a messenger, an angel, someone. This is Jesus. Verse 16, but arise and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which I will appear to you, delivering you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Okay. Goads. Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And here, what you don't get in the other things, it says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. You know what a goad is? It's it's a sharp pointed object uh, like a stick that they would use to push cattle and other beasts of burden along. It was pointed. So in other words, you're kicking at that. I mean, think about it. if you see a sharp object like that, are you going to kick it? No. He says that that's what you're doing. It's like kicking against a sharp object like that. You know, why are you doing this? You know. And uh, it's it's an interesting illustration, but again, manners and customs. They knew that they had those things all around. Today we don't know that we don't we don't use that. Uh, so uh, so kicking against the goads refers to the futility of persecuting the church. In other words, and then think about this for a second. This is Jesus saying this. It's like even now the church is the church has always been under persecution, and even today we're under persecution. But realize it's like kicking against the goads. The church is going to survive. The church is going to continue to do what it's going to do until Christ comes back. We go through our ups and our and our downs, but the church is not going away. The church is not going away, and it's going to be the remnant that stand up against whatever it is. And God always moves through the remnant which is a small amount of people that are willing to stand for God, and then the masses will follow them. Yeah? Can you restate that? No, I forgot what I said. <laughs> Kicking against the goats refers to... The futility of persecuting the church. Say it again? Futility of persecuting the church. In other words, it's like, it's like kicking a sharp object. You're not going to win. Right? Today we might say it differently, you know, and we would use an illustration of something that we all, you know, know. But there was, it's, it's like kicking at a sharp object. You, you're just going to end up hurting yourself. So, you know, that's something for the church to remember. Even though we go through our ups and our downs, persecuting the church is like kicking against the goats. It's, 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 it's futile. It's not, you're not going to win. The church will go through its up and downs, but the church will always 
be here until Christ comes back. Uh, verse 15, he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Would arise, stand on your feet. For this purpose, I have appeared to you. Now he says, I have appeared to you. Again, Paul's got that 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 on his resume that the other apostles don't have, and he uses it when he's questioned by the Corinthian church. Well, who are you to tell us what to do? And he says, well, I was called by the resurrected, ascended, and seated at the right hand of of the Father Jesus. He appeared to me on the road to Damascus where there were witnesses of, of uh, what happened. They didn't see Christ, but they saw what was going on around it. And then they saw Paul's conversion. He says, I appeared to you to appoint you a minister, which means a servant, and a witness, not only to these things which you have seen, but also to the things which I will appear to you. In other words, his ministry. He says, delivering you from all the Jewish people and from the Gentiles whom I am sending you. In other words, persecution around him by all people. Verse 8. Now here, this, this, this is really meaty here. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. We did a sermon about that a couple of weeks ago, about the difference between light and darkness, and the light always overpowers the darkness. But here he takes it one step farther. He says, from the dominion of Satan to God. So darkness is Satan. Darkness is demonic. Darkness is opposite of God. In order that they may receive forgiveness of sins. In other words, in our sins, we are in darkness. We have to now be changed to the light through Christ. In order... And an inheritance among those who have been sanctified, in other words, ratified and confirmed uh, by faith in me. So in other words, what is our justification as being a Christian? We believe in Jesus Christ, right? And what he said, what he's done, his return, all of that, those doctrine statements. So that right there, verse 18 is really uh, uh, a lot of heavy duty stuff there. And by the way, on your outline there, right on the side of Acts 26, 14 to 18, I put Acts uh, 9, and it says 109, that should be a dash. Acts 9, 1 to 9, and then Acts 22, 3 to 11. That's just the other accounts that Paul gave of the, of, of the conversion. I mean, actually Luke gives of Paul's conversion. So if you want to cross-reference the three of them, you'll get the three of those there. So it's it's Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 9. That zero is a uh, is a typo. I don't know how that got there. <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> so thoughts, questions on that? So you know he's got he's got a heavy testimony, but realize his testimony is also he's also preaching the gospel. He's got the who's who of Caesarea in that building. Mm-hmm. And so his story is the gospel. You know, he's living the gospel. Uh, and, and he's not afraid to uh, to uh, demonstrate it and talk about it. So verse 19 to 24. So then he says, this is Paul now, Consequently, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those in Damascus first, 
also at Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea, and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Let's break this part down, because remember I always say to you, we in the gospel, usually people talk about, well, you know, you need to confess Jesus Christ. But the gospel is you need to acknowledge your sin first and repent. Because what's the point of a Messiah saving you if you haven't acknowledged what you need to be saved from? So that's the importance of repentance. So whenever we preach the gospel to someone, make sure they understand you have to look at your sins and be willing to repent. And then now it makes the reason that we have a Messiah clearer. Because it's now, because without repentance, why did Jesus come? Right? It doesn't make sense. But now if you understand, I'm a sinner, and I'm repenting, and I'm turning away from that, but just turning away doesn't get me into heaven. doesn't get me back in right standing with God. God so loved me, he sent his only begotten son to die, pay the price on the cross for me. Uh, he says that I should repent, return, and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Now this is what I like to call the conversion process. Now that you're a Christian, you do what? Christian things. You act like a Christian. You think like a Christian. You vote like a Christian. No, okay. Anyway, um, verse 21. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. So basically he's saying, because of my story, because I used to be a Jew, and they got it in for me, they don't like me. I mean, just on the face of it, some will be upset with him because, wait a minute, you you were the super Jew. And then now you're not, and now you're you're preaching against us. Well, we don't like you just for that. But on top of that is the gospel. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. And so having obtained help from God, whose help come from? God. He doesn't say because they lowered me out of the room, because they, they got me. He says God. Okay? So whenever Paul needed help, who was the one who gave him help? He acknowledged it was God. He said, And I stand this day testifying, both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. Now when it says prophets and Moses, it's just referring to the Old Testament. Okay? Sometimes it will, be, it will say it is written. Uh, that's also re referring to the Old Testament. Because the Hebrew Bible is broken up into three segments. The law, which is Moses, the prophets, and the writings. So the prophets would be uh, Samuel and Ezekiel and, and all those guys. Uh, Moses is the first five books. And then the writings is all the literature. It's like Psalms and Song of Solomon and, and, and things like that. And Daniel. Actually, Daniel is grouped with the writings, not as a prophet, because of the way it is uh, is written. But anyone that wrote, thus saith the Lord, is a prophet, because that's what prophets say. This is what God says. Okay, So that's just referring to the, uh, to the Bible. As you, again, remember, some few letters have been written at this point, but the New Testament isn't anywhere close to being finished and, and ratified and and anything else, you know. So the Bible that they're talking about here, the prophets and Moses, 
is, is everything from uh, uh, Genesis to Malachi. Verse 23. Uh, in other words, let me do for continuity 22 again. And so having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. In other words, they were pointing, as I always said, the Old Testament points to the cross. And here's 23, that the Christ was to suffer. That's the Christ, That's the cross. And that by reason of his resurrection, that's from the cross, from the dead as a result of the cross, he should be first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. And while Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. Now, Festus, who's not a Bible-believing type person, thought that the doctrine of, of the resurrection from the dead was crazy. This is what he's talking about. Why out of your mind? I mean, think about it. If nobody before had been talking about resurrection, and now this group of believers for the last 26, 28 years are talking about resurrection and resurrection in the last day and, and, and all this stuff, and they're like, are you kidding me? You're crazy. Because this was just alien to them. It was foreign to them. Okay? But... You see, these are the kind of things that argue for God because God stands outside of creation. We know that when someone dies, they die. There's, there's no coming back. But the only one that could raise someone from the dead is God because God is the one who's created all things, controls all things, stands outside of the created world and is not bound by the laws of the created world because he created the created world. Make sense? So that's why sometimes, well, this doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to anybody until you're willing to acknowledge God outside of the created world. And then when you do that, then it becomes like, oh, okay, there's something greater than what I thought was great. And that's the, the creator out there. I think, I think I just said something pretty good. Did you like that, Don? Well, that's good stuff. Anyway. Uh, thoughts, questions? To this point, pretty powerful stuff. You know, when you really break it down and, and read it. Verse 25. But Paul said, okay, 24 again, because it, it kind of goes together. And while Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, remember the who's who in this room. And so Festus stands up and says, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, Am I not out of my mind, most excellent Festus? But I utter words of sober truth. For the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. Now notice what he's talking about. Festus, who brought 
King Agrippa into it. Festus is saying, I don't get it. You're crazy. And he's saying, yeah, but there's somebody here who gets what I'm saying. And it's King Agrippa. Because Agrippa knows scripture. He knows Jewish customs. He knows about Christianity. Verse 26 again. For the king, this is referring to Agrippa, knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence. Who's he speaking to? Agrippa. Since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice. In other words, he says, I know he knows what I'm talking about. For this has not been done in a corner. In other words, Christianity from Jesus' death, his, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, this was all public knowledge. You know? I mean, why did they guard the tomb? Because they knew something was going to happen. They didn't know what was going to happen, but they were guarding the tomb, and the power of God overshadowed what they were trying to do. Now, he... Here's where Paul gets really bold. Verse 27. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? And then he says, I know you do. So what he's saying is, King Agrippa, do you know that from Genesis to Malachi, the things that I've been saying is pointing to the cross? This is dramatic. This is, do you know these things? He's saying to someone, you know the scriptures, you know what it says. You know, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? He knows that he does. So he puts him he puts him in a corner here. And he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. Verse 28. Agrippa replied to Paul, In a short time you will persuade me to become a Christian. Yeah. Wow, that's right. He says, yeah, you're making, you're making one heck of a case here. Because, yeah, I do know Scripture. And it does point to the cross. It does validate what you are saying. You know, again, see, the importance of the Old Testament is that 2,500 years before Christ, Scripture was already being formed, talking and pointing towards the cross. Right? So now when Jesus comes, those that understand and know, it's easier for them to accept than those that don't know Scripture or those that can be easily swayed. And this is the importance of Bible study and, and knowing your Bible and reading your Bible. Because if we don't know our Bible, if we don't know the story, uh, if we don't know the doctrines, we can be easily swayed away off of them. Or somebody could come in and say, well, you know, Jesus said this and Jesus said that. And I, you know, I really don't believe Jesus meant it that way. I, th I believe Jesus meant it this way. And people go, mm -hmm, amen. And it's straight heresy. It's off, it's off the pages of the Bible. So that's why orthodoxy, we have to stay on the pages of the, of the, of the Bible. Uh, I love this. Eight. And Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time you will persuade me to be a Christian. Can you imagine what the others in there were thinking? This is King Agrippa. There there had to have been this huge <gasps> going on, you know. Verse 29, and Paul said, I would to God that whether in a short 
in a short or long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. In other words, he's, but he's bound. And he says, I wish you all understand and hear the gospel that I'm telling you. He's saying, I wish that you all become a Christian. You know, he's, he's, for Paul, this is life or death. And what's he doing? He's evangelizing the room. I mean, this is, this is huge for the church to, to understand this. You know, this isn't self-preservation. This is, this is fulfilling the call from the road to Damascus, you know, when he was blinded by the light so that he might see. Verse 29 again, Paul said, I I would to God that whether in a short time or a long time. So in other words, he says, whether you get it today or you get it tomorrow or a day after, praise God, as long as you get it, right? Not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. He says, I want you to become a Christian, but I don't want you to be in bondage. Verse 30. And the king arose, and the governor and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had drawn aside, they began talking to one another, saying, This man is not doing anything worthy of death or imprisonment. So now here you have another one. You have the commander said it, Felix said it, Festus said it, Agrippa said it. Verse 32, And Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So in other words, he says, Because he's appealed to Caesar, I am bound to send him to Rome. So, you know, Paul wants to go to Rome. He's not trying to get out of going to Rome. He's going to preach the gospel wherever wherever he can. But Agrippa is saying, you know, it's in our power to let this guy go. And we could easily let this guy go because there's nothing. So this is why Paul's arrest, and later next week we'll read about when he's in Rome and he's in arrest and stuff. He's under house arrest. He's not. He's not. He's not being beaten and, you know chained to a fence 24 hours a day. He's under house arrest. He can have people come and see him. And, and, and you know, as I said before, he, uh, well, he's under house arrest. He's writing all these letters to the church. Why? Because they couldn't find anything wrong with him, but because he appealed to Rome, they're going to send him to Rome where he wants to go. So at this point, Paul has to be thinking, obviously, this is God's plan for me to go to Rome. Paul wants to go to Rome so he can follow up on what he wrote to the Romans a few years back. Saying, I, you know, I, I, I hope to see you soon. I hope to come to you. But here's my opening volley. This is what Christianity is. That's why Romans is so meaty. And that's why I want to do Romans in January. Uh, we'll go line by line through Romans. It's just Christianity 101. Uh, uh, you know, he says, I want to come and follow up with you on this. But here's my opening thing to this. So Paul most likely is thinking at some point he's, he's probably going to be released and be able to finish his ministry. 
you know. And so, but I mean, right here, we're going to end with this part. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he not, if he had not appealed to Caesar. So hold it there until next week. The thoughts, questions on that? It's kind of a straightforward deal, but when you read it, sometimes it, it, it blurs together. Because all of a sudden he's telling the story and now he's telling it to a commander and then there's a Felix and a Festus and who are these guys? And then who's this Agrippa guy coming in and what's going on and who's the emperor and who's the Lord? And, you know, again, so when you break it down, it's, it's, it's like the book of Revelation. It's, it's not hard once you break it all down. It's really relatively simple when you break it all down. But sometimes when we read things, we just kind of read through it without understanding the manners or the customs or the types and the shadows or the uh, uh, the analogies or the the parables or the you know the goad thing, kicking against the goad. You know, when I first when I first read that, I thought he was talking about uh, squash. I don't know why I thought he was talking about squash. You know, and I said, like, "Well, what's the deal with that?" You know. Then <laughs> when I found, oh wait a minute, I'm wrong. <laughs> it's a spear. <laughs> now it makes a, now it makes a lot of sense. But if you don't know that, it doesn't make any sense. So again, we'll read it, but but we don't know what it means, so we just read it and go through it. But when you read it, but then put it in terms of the church today. Persecute the church, it's like kicking to the spear. It's not going to work. We're going to go through our ups and downs, but the church is going to survive. The church was going to be here until Jesus comes back. You know, that, these are the kind of things that, you know, we draw strength from. And they're the kind of things that keep us focused. Okay, let's go back to verse 10. I really didn't understand that. Of chapter 27? Uh, 26. 26, I'm sorry, yeah. Uh, it says there, I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest, mm -hmm. and then they were put to death. I cast my vote against them. Against yeah. them is the priest or against the prisoners? Against what was going on is that, read it in terms of, of Acts chapter 9, that Paul was going to Damascus. He had letters from the chief priests allowing him to go into the synagogues and take people and bind them and bring them back for trial. So, verse 10. He says, and not just that, that I did in Jerusalem, meaning persecuting the church, going into the synagogue, preaching against Christianity. And not only did I lock up many of the saints, who would be saints, those are believers. So I locked up believers in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. In other words, the chief priests in the temple said, Paul, you can do this. We want you a Saul, then, as he was known. You can do this. And then it says, but also when they were being put to death, meaning the people that he had authority to go get, he says, I cast my vote against them. In other words, for them to die. He said, I against what, who they are. So is this what made the priests mad? No. Um, no. The priests were in agreement with Saul as you know, and then Paul, against going and stopping uh, Christianity because it was it was taking people out of Judaism. And so the chief priests were giving him authority to go get them. And then like it says in, in Acts chapter 9, it says, Paul 
or Saul, was in hearty agreement with Stephen being put to death. He was one of the first martyrs of the church. So Paul is saying here in, in verse 10, he said, I, I, I had the agreement of the chief priests. They were on my side. We were working together. I had papers to go get them and, and, and bring them back in chains. And then when it was time, if, if they were going to be uh, killed, if, you know, stoned, whatever, whatever it was, he says, I cast my vote against them. I didn't cast it for them, but against them, who they are. So this makes makes Paul's, as we known as Saul, his conversion so dramatic. I mean, it's one thing if you look at Moses as a deliverer, and you know the story of, of, of Moses where he left Egypt because he got into a fight and, he, and he, he, he killed someone. And so he left. So here's a murderer and God used him. Well, that's one guy. But now you've got this Saul guy who in his, before his conversion uh, is, is just anti-church, going after the church, and then God stops him in his tracks, humbles him, reveals to him, and then Paul all of a sudden realizes what he was not seeing in Scripture before. That's why he blinded him so that he could see. And so he used him who knew the Old Testament, and so Later, when we read and he was talking to Agrippa, he says, do you believe the prophets and Moses? He's pointing to that, you know, and he says, you know, I once didn't and now I did. So verse 10 is just saying he had authority uh, to, to take Christians to jail and he was even in agreement with them being put to death. See, I was a little surprised with that because... The Jews didn't like him, but yet he had this authority. That's well. That's that was before the conversion. Okay. So that that was up to Acts chapter nine. So now the Jews don't like him because he's preaching against okay. Judaism. So it's not it's not a flip flop, but it is a flip flop. <laughs> it's not him flip flopping in his own. It's because God opened his eyes so he could see. And he was now converted. It wouldn't be any different than someone that was uh, an atheist or an agnostic or even someone that worships Satan. All of a sudden, now they come to Christianity. I mean, a real conversion over. They leave all that stuff behind. So the Jews that were against him now were those that were even upset by the fact that, wait a minute, wait a minute, you were on our side once, <laughs> Right? And now you're with them. But on top of it, now you're coming into our synagogue. You're coming into the temple. You're coming into our synagogues. And you're, and you're, and you're speaking out against who we are. And you're bringing Jesus in there. And so now he's getting it from the other side. So think about Paul. You know, I mean, he, he flung from one side of the pendulum to the other side. But it was God that did that. And so... Um, yeah, so that's why knowing the timeline of the story. So up to Acts chapter 9, he's a Jew's Jew. The Jews like him. The Jews love him. Christians don't like him because he's going after the church. But from Acts chapter 9, now he's converted. And now he even has to win over in, in chapters 10, 11, 12. He has to win over some of, some of the Christians because they're saying, wait a minute. 
No, 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 no. This, this, this guy, this guy was persecuting us. This guy was in agreement with Stephen being stoned, and now you're trying to tell me he's preaching the gospel. You know, that's like you know Charlie Manson getting out of jail, and all of a sudden he's on TBN. You know, wait a minute, what's going on here? Yeah, you know, you know, uh, uh, that's probably kind of a radical deal, but it's it's but but it's that kind of a, a change. So yeah, he's loved by the Jews. Hated by the Jews, loved by the Jews that were Christians, and Gentiles that were Christians. After Acts chapter nine and ten, so at this point, he's 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 the he's the Paul that went to all these churches on his journey and was getting people saved and establishing churches. So now he's got he's got a resume of almost twenty years of ministry. So he's overcome any obstacle, but the temple is still there. Judaism is still there. Judaism, uh, in the year 70, the temple is going to be destroyed by Rome. And so at that point, uh, Judaism gets kicked out of, uh, out, out of Israel for the most part. And so all those people that were uh, against Paul in the church, they're going to be gone out of there. And uh, so, so yeah, he's got he's he's on one side of the fence, and then now he's on the other side of the fence. And uh, uh, so, again, in Paul's story, you have to think about when he first got saved, what was going on on the inside of him. He says, "Wait a minute, how can you call me to do this? I was persecuting the church. I was in agreement with people being stoned, being killed." And now you want me to preach. I believe you. I'm willing to believe you. But now you want me to go out and preach? So think about people that today that get saved and all of a sudden, you know, know, the relatives are saying, wait a minute, I remember you when you were... So Paul's more dramatic than that, but same sort of deal. Um, So yeah, that's... Good point to bring out. So he's uh, uh, he had authority to persecute the church. He gets saved, and now he's sent by God to preach the gospel to Jews. But the Jews that don't like him now are the ones because he's preaching against uh, temple and sacrifice and all that other stuff. He's he's talking about Christianity. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Thanks for asking the question. Appreciate it. Any other thoughts? Questions? That's why I like questions because we get to go down some roads that, uh, and sometimes we we need to go down to. So now he's appealed to Rome. He's going to be going to Rome. That's where we're going to pick up the story uh, next week. He's going to be on a ship and all that good stuff, and uh, and sailing. He's not going to be fishing, but he's going to be on a ship. And so we're here. We're going to we're going to hear the story. So probably two more weeks of this, and then I'm going to do a couple topical things the first part of December. And then when we break for our Christmas thing, then when we come back, we'll be in Romans straight up. Good? Okay? Good? Okay. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this time, Lord. We thank you for understanding, Lord. We thank you for the purpose of Scripture, Lord, is that we might see. The purpose of Scripture is that we might hear, Lord. And the purpose of Scripture is we we might receive what it is that you have for us. 
the purpose of Scripture is that we might go and do the things that you're calling us to do. So, Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for this passage, Lord, that shows us about persecution of the church. Lord, that it's like kicking against the goads. Lord, that in this time when the church feels so persecuted, that we can't do this and can't do that, and different things are shutting down, Lord, that uh, uh, persecuting the church is like kicking against a sharp object. Lord, it's just not going to work. It's not going to win. Because, Lord, we have to remember that you are still on the throne. You are still king. You are still Lord of lords. You are still our Savior. And so, Father, we thank you for that, Lord. And so now as we leave the sanctuary, but not your presence, may you continue to be with us, to guide us and strengthen us and encourage us. In this we give you thanks and praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And for those of you that are listening via podcast, I just want to remind you the sanctuary is open. On Wednesdays 7 to 8, you can hear our uh, this broadcast live, but we will always uh, do the podcast if you can't make it. Okay? So God bless you. Hope to see you Sunday, and uh, see you all soon. Amen.